Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. Heck dang yeah. Heck dang yeah. We have made it to Friday Eve and guess what? Next week, this time, Thanksgiving. Turkey time. Hard to believe. And let's see, we got deer hunting gun season opening up this weekend, right? I do believe. I thought I heard uh, Mr. Posey talk about that with Mr. Gallo this morning. Well, it's that time. It's here. And it's cold. The hunters like that, right? You don't like well, that makes the deer hot. move. They get a little, okay, got Until you. it gets too cold, and then they just stop moving. <laughs> well, I know one thing. They're moving about in my neighborhood. I mean, I saw a family last night. It was like 20 of them in a front yard. And if you don't watch it, they'll get in your way in the road and ruin your vehicle. I've had that happen twice in a year. They frolic around (laughs) the neighborhood. One time I came home, and uh, my my driveway kind of goes around my house to the back, right? And we have a little side porch. And I happened to glance up, passing by the side porch, and there was a deer on the porch looking in the window. Like, let me in. (laughs) They're domesticated around here, aren't they? (laughs) Like pets. Just a messenger to Santa. I got you. Checking up on you. (laughs) But that's okay. That works, right? That's fine. Do we have, like, more deer than we have people in Mississippi? You ever heard that? Statistic. I don't before. think it's quite that offset, <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot. There's a bunch. That's of why them. we have hunting seasons the way we do in Mississippi compared to some states around the country, where there are avid hunters across the country, but they might have a three, five, seven day hunting season. That's it. Okay. Because the deer population can't withstand more than that. But in Mississippi, we got plenty of deer. Hmm. No doubt about that. And in fact, it is necessary, right? Yeah, you need to. We hunt. hunters are a a, necess, a necessity because without culling of the herd and thinning of the herd and and harvesting and conservation, you would have more accidents on the highways involving deer. No doubt, 
and and they do other harm as well, right? To the environment, they can get into crops and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. It's those pesky um, hogs. Yeah, the hogs are a problem. Yeah, because they can multiply so quickly, and they they learn. They they have this innate sense to to figure out traps. So. If you have one of the, the remote control traps where you got the video feed and you can see they're in there, there's a reason there's a video feed and it's not just automated. Yeah. Because if you get part of a family, a sounder of hogs in the trap and set it off, the rest of the hogs are never – you're not going to be catching them in a trap like that more easily. They're, they're going to learn, all right, don't go in the big round metal thing. But they're really destructive to oh, crops, yeah. are they not? They'll tear up anything and everything in their path. Hmm. Got gotcha. you. And eat all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, a little economic news for you this morning. Housing starts fell again. High mortgage rates, no shock. They are scaring off U.S. home buyers. Slowed to an annual rate of 1.43 million. That's 4.2 percent. Uh, lower than the prior month. That would that would be an October reading, and it is expected that situation will continue. So you got that retail sales down. We had uh, the information yesterday from Target, which missed top and bottom line, and also informed the market that they lost four hundred million to shrinkage, and and y- there's no doubt that these ridiculous look-the-other-way policies with respect to law enforcement and crime in the big cities, where there are a lot of targets, was a factor. There's no doubt about that. They are emboldened. Hey, there nothing's going to happen to me. I just help myself. So that's a big old situation. Uh, very high mortgage rates. Uh, the highest we've had in quite a long time. The rate on a 30-year fixed top 7%. That's more than double the rate a short year ago. I think it did fall a little bit this morning, 6.9 and change. But it's hanging around that 7% mark. And that, frankly, is driving many would-be home buyers out of the market. Simply cannot afford it. I heard a fascinating interview this morning from a major home builder in the Midwest said that they're focusing on really, really high-end homes where demand is still fairly stable. A lot of those folks are paying cash, not financing as much, not as concerned about higher interest rates. Bottom line is... The cost of a mortgage doesn't consume uh, a major portion of their income, right? So he talked about that. So, so he said they're investing in their they're investing in building high-end homes and multifamily homes, leaving a void in the middle for first-time home buyers, which are just priced out of the market at this point. Those who got in over the last year. When the rates were depressed, they were incredibly lucky. Now, the other thing that's happening is that we're seeing a, a decline in the value of homes. Rates go up, 
demand goes down, value goes down as well. So that's a big old problem, and I'm concerned about many banks who are sitting on debt. Uh, that would be home equity loan debt, and they loan and they, and they borrowed uh, this money. Did the home buyers when their homes were inflated in price, frankly, and that created some some equity. Uh, as prices rose, that allowed them to go borrow money for other purposes. And now you got all these banks sitting on there. They call them HELOCs, Home Equity Loan. So uh, just a, a lot of interesting financial data to absorb markets reacting negatively to that information uh, this morning. And you wonder how high is it going to go. Also, we got uh, more statements from one of the Fed presidents that said, yep, we got to keep on raising these rates. So every, everybody's trying to second guess where, where's all that going, you know, how much, how long, when, etc. Anyhow, some big-time uh, economic information there for you this morning that I think it's worth keeping an eye on because this ultimately will affect us all. It's We're facing a Thanksgiving where with the price of Almost everything on the Thanksgiving table up. Eggs up 43%. Butter up 28%. The price of the bird up 16 18%. Could be the most expensive Thanksgiving ever, honestly. And then we head into the busy shopping season. In fact, just a week from tomorrow, Black Friday. Oh, yeah. One of the biggest shopping days of the year. And you've seen reports of different toy manufacturers revamping toy lines, creating smaller packaging, smaller toys, uh, limited sets to try to bring costs down, to bring the price down, because they don't expect people will be spending nearly as much on Christmas shopping. Precisely right. So the, the outlook is uh, especially with Target, their their outlook, which was negative, really affected markets, and um, and then of course the cryptocurrency crash, that's playing into it as well. Folks are just concerned about that and how that ripples through the market. Uh, Elon Musk was fascinating statement he made to the Twitter folks. You see this. Either get ready to work your butt off and hunker down with some difficult work environment from a uh, just from an hours perspective and a time at work, or get out, make a choice. I love it, honestly. I, I really do. So, Dallas Fed predicts home prices could sink twenty percent. That was the statement I was looking, and that just sent a ripple effect through the market. We're going to step aside for a break right here on Middays. When we return, Rhonda Hayden, Development Director for Extra Table. we got a lot more politics to talk about as well with the House now being secured officially by the Republicans. What are they going to do? Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. Right. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, joining us now, Rhonda Hayden, Development Director for Extra Table. Rhonda, thanks for coming on Middays. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so tell us about the Tackle Hunger Initiative. Uh, this is, I think, uh, you guys created this for the holidays, if I'm not mistaken. We did, and this is our third year for doing the Tackle Hunger Holiday Campaign. The Extra Table is um, committed to supplying Thanksgiving meals to all of our partnering food pantries. So we put it out into the public and asked them to make a $15 donation, which will cover the cost of a turkey for the food pantries. And obviously, we're getting very good deals on our turkeys. We um, secured these turkeys back in January, and we are buying them by the 18-wheeler. So, you know, we're getting them cheaper than if you as a customer went to the grocery store to buy these turkeys and actually give them to another individual. So $15 for a turkey. And then if you want to add more to that donation, obviously it will go to um, the other items that they will be getting for the Thanksgiving meal. Rhonda, share if you if you would with our audience the uh, the genesis, the idea, the history of Extra Table. Well, um, Extra Table has quite a history. We've been around for 14 years now. So Robert St. John, chef in Hattiesburg, and now he has restaurants all over Mississippi. He identified a need um, within the food pantries in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where they actually would not have enough food to supply their clientele for an entire month. So by the end of the month, the food pantries were running very low and only had a couple of certain items left on the shelf. So Robert made a commitment to um, one of the local food pantries to start giving them more food on monthly basis to make sure that they didn't run out at the end of the month. And then he thought, well, if this is the case here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, what's going on at all the other food pantries throughout the state of Mississippi? So he took some time and traveled to other food pantries throughout the state, and he realized that this is actually an issue that our food pantries experience every single month. So he started the nonprofit Extra Table And we strictly fundraise to purchase food, and we deliver it directly to food banks throughout Mississippi. So we're just trying to make sure that our food banks have enough supply for the demand that they have on their um, with our clientele. Rhonda, how big a problem is this in Mississippi? (laughs) Growing and growing and growing. We wish that we could say the numbers of um, people who are actually food insecure in Mississippi are decreasing, and but we're not alone in Mississippi. This is not just something that we experience in our home state, but it is nationwide. So when the pandemic hit, you know, we kind of braced and prepared for those all-time high numbers of people visiting the food banks when we started to see what was actually going on in the economy with the pandemic and when people started losing their jobs and, you know, things like that getting laid off, they were starting to go to the food banks. And these were individuals who had never been there before. You know, they weren't a regular there. And then so we knew, okay, let's just get through this time. 
We increased our fundraising. We got more donations. Uh, people were very generous. And we worked really hard to keep up with, you know, the demand at the time. And we thought, well, this is going to go down when everything normalizes. And things started to normalize, started to. And then we came upon inflation. And it has killed our food banks. Um, To be honest with you, we thought we were at an all-time high with numbers of people going to the food banks during the pandemic. And now we're seeing with inflation every month since July, we see higher and higher numbers. So July, August, September, October, now we're in November. Every month is higher than the last month. We have a local food pantry that during the pandemic, they went from 800 to 1,300 families. And I spoke with her earlier this week when we were delivering turkeys and they are now seeing 1,800 families a month. Hmm. Wow. And so uh, Extra Table does not receive any government funding. Is that is that correct? It's all privately funded? We do not. We're a grassroots um, 501c3, and we do all of our own fundraising. We don't have supplementals coming in from the government, um, you know, which is it, it's good for us. It's fine with us. We have the choice of what we want to purchase, and we make a commitment to our food pantries and those that we serve that we will only purchase healthy, shelf-stable foods. So we want to make sure that we have low-sugar, um, you know, fruits that are going out there, low-sodium products, high-protein, and we really have the ability to um, make sure that that happens. And, and that's an issue, too, is it not, Rhonda, that in, in our state, and, and honestly, I think this is true across the country, in the more impoverished areas, there is, in fact, less access to healthy food. That That's absolutely correct. And we also find that weird balance between obesity and hunger in Mississippi. So we're the hungriest state, but not only are we the hungriest state, we're one of the top five obese states in the nation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a hard one to um, reconcile. But people who live in the lower co- income areas don't have access to the same healthy food that we have. And a lot of times the healthier food does cost more. Um, you will see, and I'm sure you see it every day because I know I do, When you walk into your local gas station, you'll see individuals that literally are there getting their meals for the day. You know, they're in the convenience store. They can buy a Coke and a bag of chips or, you know, um, a bear claw or something like that, cheaper than they can go get a a healthy meal. So we see that all the time. And that, of course, uh, contributes to... Uh, to to issues with health, disease, and so forth, and that and that further honestly burdens all of society. It does, and it is. Um, you know that's why at Extra Table we make sure when we're looking at items that we're going to purchase and deliver straight to our food pantries, we're reading the nutrition uh, labels. We know some of the things that. Mississippians are, um, you know, insecure in some of the vitamins that we're low on and things like that. And we really do. We try to um, buy foods that are going to combat all that. Yeah. All right. So if someone wants to get involved, wants to make a contribution, a donation, or perhaps provide 
uh, other uh, in-kind assistance? How do they do that? Um, There are several ways that they can do it. I will make it as easy as possible. My favorite is Venmo. Everybody has gotten into the Venmo. It's easy to send money to Extra Table, but we are strictly at Extra Table when you go to Venmo. So you can Venmo anything, any donation. Um, A dollar is good, so don't hesitate. And then we have a website set up, and it's called Tackle Hunger Together dot um com so a donation can be made there and then obviously you can always go to extratable.org and look at our website get more information from us sign up to be a volunteer when we have volunteer opportunities and make donations right there at extratable.org if anybody has any concerns or reservations about uh, their donation being put to good use and used as intended How do you respond to that? Well, fortunately, at Extra Table, we can say that every dollar that comes in as a donation for food goes directly to food. We have a separate 501c3 that's set up that is for our admin cost. So that covers everything from pens, pencils, Internet, anything that it costs for Extra Table to exist, Mm -hmm. it's paid for out of that account. And then when you make a donation to Extra Table through the avenues that I just mentioned, that is for food and it will be spent on food. Yeah, and that's good to know. It's important because, you know, a lot of folks just have that question, and it's a reasonable question, and and, I appreciate your response. I I like the structure. I like the way you set that up, where you're segregating the operating costs from uh, the the actual work, the volunteer work, uh, the charity work of the organization. I think that's awesome. So. Um, yeah, and that was something that. that Robert St. John was really adamant about when he started Extra Table. Makes total sense. Well, Ron, appreciate you coming on and appreciate all that Extra Table does. Uh, this is definitely an issue, and it sounds like it's expanding just because of the inflationary pressure in our economy. So we appreciate you telling us about that, and we encourage folks to help out and donate. Thank you, Rhonda. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your time. You got it. Rhonda Hayden, the development director with Extra Table, has been our guest here on Middays. We'll step aside for a break right here, coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Glenn Fry, iconic tune there. Got to be cool for 20 hours. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> By the great. <laughs> All you can think about is Miami Vice when you hear that. Oh, right? yeah. Crockett and Tubbs. 
<laughs> Suit jackets with sleeves rolled up. That's it. Oh, gosh. Detectives running around in the – was it a Lamborghini they drove, I think? Ferrari, maybe? One of those. I want to say there was a bit of controversy over the vehicle they used, because I want to say – and correct me if I'm wrong. I, this is before my time or right when I was coming around. Yeah. But they – the first season, they had a different car because they didn't have the budget. And I want to say it was a knockoff Ferrari, like a kit Ferrari. You're right. And then later seasons, they got the budget to actually get luxury <laughs> The cars. real one. Yeah, a Daytona Spider uh, and a Testarossa. Hmm. Interesting. But that was just part of the, part of the character, right? The oh, white, yeah. fast, convertible... I think that was a Testarossa, as I recall. But anyhow, so that's not unheard of for no any for TV shows in that day and age to have a, no. a car be a central figure. Heck, some of the cars were the characters, like Kit from Knight Rider. You're right. Yeah, I'm looking here. You're right about that. The first two seasons, the show featured a replica 1972 Ferrari yeah. 365. That's right. Hmm. Sonny Crockett, Ricardo Tubbs. I think that was his name, wasn't it, Ricardo? <laughs> Let's see here on the ceasefire text line. We got it cranking up. Chris from Oxford says, oh, yes, sir, we had almost 2 million deer back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, that's getting close to the, what, 2.9 million humans that inhabit the state of Mississippi. That, of course, to the statement I made that I just heard somewhere where we had more deer than people. Two million still a lot. Might be short of the number of humans. That's a bunch of deer. Yeah, according to uh, the Extension Service at Mississippi State, the white-tailed deer population in the country likely exceeds 30 million. And out of that, Mississippi makes up 1.75 million animals, harvesting just shy of 300,000 a year. That's incredible. We harvest 300,000 a year? Two, on average, 280,000 deer annually. Like by hunters? Yeah. For the vast majority, yeah. Wow. That just seems high. For does some it, though? reason. Well, it does because... You know, so, I mean, what like what percentage year, of the population would have to get two deer per season for that to whack well, out? Well, I, I think you'd have to say what percentage of the hunters... The hunting population. Right, but in Mississippi, that's... I'm not going to say lot. it's half, but it's a it's big a chunk. Yeah, but it seems like last year in particular... Now, I don't, but my son, big time, avid, and many of my friends. Uh, j- just seems like every time they went out, they'd come back and say, you know, dry hole again. I don't know what was going on last year. Was it warm or something? So- something would made it so that it was not very conducive to harvesting. And I can't remember if it was last year or year before. He did shoot a giant buck. Big old rack. Like barely fitting the camera, you know, kind of deal. Uh, Bo in Indianola says, I had two deer last year. Bo, I did two. Within less than a year, I hit two. And both damaged my vehicle. And both required about $3,000 worth of repair. Mm. And and they both damaged the exact same location on my vehicle, the right bumper. 
uh, fender some bunder. folks that would be enough inspiration to get out in the woods and get some revenge. <laughs> I got you. You're gonna well, pay back that three thousand in in meat. Yeah, I confer that authority. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Let's see on the C Spire text line. This would be from the C Spire text line president-elect sent a photo of two deer frolicking around his truck. I think they're trying to steal my old truck, Gerard. Well, they don't know. They're just out and about everywhere. And And we have them all over the golf course, too. And it's really not cool when they decide to tromp all over the greens. Deer tracks make your ball go offline a little bit. Definitely impact the handicap. <laughs> exactly. If Besides the whole having to sleep outside, the life of a deer really isn't that bad. Because, I mean, all they really do is sleep, eat, sleep, <laughs> eat. That pretty Every much once in a while reproduce. That describes a great deal of the animal population, does it not? Yeah, Sleep but with, especially in Mississippi, because there are so few predatory animals, they don't have to live in, in much fear of, of bears coming to get them. That's or, true. Or different bobcats or stuff like that. Did you see the report where, speaking of which, was it in California, a big black bear just busted up in a courthouse or something? <laughs> There's pictures of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, the, I saw the, the report, and the number one comment underneath it was, well, you can't be surprised if you put a bear on the flag and it wants to show up to City Hall. That's right. You showed it to me. That's exactly right, a couple of days ago. That's awesome. Say that again. What they say, you got a, a bear on the you, flag. You can't put a bear on the flag and get upset when, when the bear shows up to City Hall. That's awesome. I was talking about Elon Musk. This is his statement that he issued yesterday. To Twitter employees, quote, going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. You hear that clapping? That's a meritocracy, folks. That slaps in the face of this march to mediocrity that is sweeping our country. Nothing in there about gender and race. And guess what? You don't get time off for pet grievances. No disrespect to grieving for pets. I've been there. But good grief. We tend to focus more, do we not, in our work environments on the benefits I'm going to get, including the days I'm not going to work and the reasons for that, than we do actually producing something. We have diminished the value of work in this country, and to a great extent, no doubt, that was spurred by the helicopter money. Just stay at home. What did Nancy Pelosi said? Unemployment benefits are good. You can go pursue some other dream. Go be an artist or something and produce useless works, is what it boils down to, that deliver no value to society. They don't get that concept. 
And but by golly, they believe they're going to fight inflation with interpretive dance. Unbelievable. unbelievable. We're going to end systemic racism with this <laughs> performance. That's exactly right. Hashtag activism. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh gosh, this is so crazy. King County, Washington. You know where that is. That's the home of Seattle. Was that where Mayor Jenny was from? Was she the Seattle or the Portland mayor? I get them confused. Remember her, Mayor Jenny Durkin, welcoming. Yeah, that was Seattle. The summer of love couple years ago. I miss those days. There's a lot to talk about with the signs. Bring diapers and cigarettes. The chump chop chaz. <laughs> That's it. Well, okay, so think about this, folks. You can celebrate LGBTQ plus ABC pride for a whole month. We do that. You can wear gigantic Black Lives Matter buttons and paraphernalia and shirts as a employee, as an employee of King County. But don't you dare put a nativity set or a menorah in your office space. You might offend somebody. True story. Absolutely true story. Wouldn't that be considered anti-Semitic to not allow a menorah? No Christmas or Hanukkah decorations in offices that house King County employees. Because the powers to be in King County fear it might offend employees. We're so damn worried about offending people. We're tied up like pretzels with this. might offend somebody. We're weak. We're wimps. It's ridiculous. This is, this is the march to mediocrity, of course. It's just incredible. I got to calm down now for a break. We're coming right back with more here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone. They, they were fortunate owners of an MG. Most of the time they don't run. You just look at them. <laughs> but in the video, that one actually does roll on the road. <laughs> right? I, I had a fraternity brother in college had one. I, I swear. He spent all week working on it so he could drive on the weekends. It's fun. But all British cars are used to be like that. You have to yeah, work on them. Yeah, tankers. <laughs> Jaguars, you just always had to work on them. What was the the little Triumph? Triumph little Spitfire. <laughs> actually had a dealer here that really? sold those. That, yeah, I recall 
I have to be in the seventies. Seems like they it was a I can't remember where where it was located, but I do remember we actually had a triumph dealer here. Of course they started out making motorcycles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, May, British UK. Oh yeah. By the way, their new prime minister just turned everything upside down this morning. Raising taxes, increasing welfare, I mean, just a host of uh, increasing interest rates and cutting spending. Increasing taxes and cutting spending concurrently is a way to rein in the inflation that is gripping the uh, British Isle and also implementing a windfall profits tax on the oil and gas industry. Stupid, dumb, crazy, dumb, bad policy. Never, ever have they worked. Bad. Better them than us. Well, let's be honest. We came ever so close to getting that here. I I think we have to stay aware and cognizant of that we really do have a thin line that stands in the way of some of those radical ideas. And, and in fact, now with the Republicans securing officially control of the House with 218 votes, uh, pardon me, seats, hopefully they're all votes in the same direction, and 211 in for the Democrats, putting the total at 429. Six seats remain. I still am pegging it with the six remaining, I think uh, Republicans end up winning three to four of those, putting the final count at 221 or 222 in favor of Republicans. Democrats would have either 214 or 215. No, four, 14 or 13, pardon me. So that's... Uh, that is where we are. Now, they wasted no time, did Republicans. <clears throat> Representative Jim Jordan this morning, they're going all after Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I have a little bit of uh, thoughts about that. I had to really think through if it made sense for that to be something that they pursue within 24 hours of learning that the House has been secured. While I don't... It's hard to connect the dots. Okay, let's say that that we do an investigate, launch a huge investigation, and in fact, we find out that there was all sorts of law-breaking, honestly, is what it would be, by the president. A serious offense. Very serious. Impeachable. Is that going to fix the problem that's at the top of the list, inflation. Not in the short term, no. But what it does, I hope, is sends a message and sets a precedent. You are still accountable to the people. You cannot act with impunity. And that is what has occurred to a great extent. I would also offer this up, Rhino, this whole FDX debacle, FTX debacle, the crypto exchange crash. He's still just kind of flipping about it. Uh, Freed, right? 
Is yeah. That Sam Bankman Freed or Sam, Fried? Yeah. Weirdo. Total total oh, weirdo. Yeah. Just just weirdo. He's and so that's a problem, in my view. That uh and it's only possible, I think, because Democrats are in control. If this and he contributed so much to Democrats, like forty million bucks or something. I've seen reports up to a hundred million. Okay. So we don't really know, but what we do know is that he made it very clear, and it's no secret that he contributed mightily to Democrats at Democrat cause. Might that be influencing their being mum on this matter? I think so. If this were a reverse situation, hell, they'd be calling for hearings. You come to the Hill now. That's what aggravates people, and I'm one of them. We're coming right back. We'll step aside for a break. Tom Brooks, director of the Rasput Flight Laboratory at MSU, and thanks for the bumper out music there. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. On this Friday Eve. How we doing? All right, we're still trying to get our guest, Tom Brooks, connected. He's the director of the Raspit Flight Laboratory at MSU, so stay tuned for that. Uh, let's see here. More companies announcing layoffs and hiring freezes. And that has got uh, investors a little nervous. I think it foretells of a coming deeper decline in economic activity. And 2023 is going to be very, excuse me, very interesting to watch from an economic perspective. Most analysts expecting a fairly significant decline. The 10-year Treasury today is up to 3.7, so it's below the 4% mark. But it is inversed with a two-year, and that's that has been a predictor of 11 of the past 12 recessions. Now, now given that the economy, inflation, the crushing increase in the cost of living, which has occurred over the last year, that that is at the top of everyone's list of concerns, even in exit polls that bore out, now that the Republicans have secured control of the House, what can and will they do? Well, we were just talking about first order of business, it appears, is that they're moving forward with a a very serious, comprehensive investigation of Joe Biden being involved in Hunter Biden and his really just weird activities overseas with foreign governments and to what extent Joe Biden was involved, compensated, essentially selling influence, which is against the law. 
and it does need to be investigated, will that quell inflation? No. But here's what it could do. It could maybe, hopefully, logically open the eyes of those that are just all in for this corrupt Democrat Party. And at the end of the day, the president currently seated in the White House may be the most corrupt ever. In fact, if it can be proven without a shadow of a doubt on the Hill that he was being compensated, that he was peddling influence, or his son was, I I don't know that there's anything more treasonous than that, honestly. Okay, we got Tom. Tom Brooks, director of the Raspit Flight Laboratory, at Mississippi State University. Hey, Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, good morning. Good morning, Gerard. How are you this morning? Doing great. Glad we got all the uh, technology worked out. So tell us a little bit uh, first, Tom, if you would, about the Frasp, uh, the Raspit Flight Laboratory, what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, glad to, uh, glad to share. So, so the Raspit Flight Research Laboratory here at Mississippi State, we're uh, really coming on our 75th, nearly our 75th anniversary of the inception of the the flight research that we do every day. Uh, you know, RASPIT has, has, has been a lot of things over the years, a lot of great people, really iconic leaders and researchers in the industry have, have enjoyed their careers here. But uh, today we're, we're really focused on UAS technology, uncrewed or unmanned technology, uh, almost exclusively. You know, I've been in the aviation business a long time with a long career in industry before joining academia and uh, UAS is just its just where it's at. It's changing everything in aviation. It's changing lives every day. And uh, I'm very, very uh, honored and pleased to be, you know, kind of the, at the helm of some of the research that's going on around the country that really is leading in this area. Mississippi State is a well-established leader in UAS research, and, and, and we in, enjoy, uh, enjoy that title and enjoy executing the work every day. It is indeed fascinating. And uh, I, I recall being at the community, I think, back in the summer, and one of the aircraft, I believe, was actually positioned in the community in the big open area there, and just fascinated by that, and that was a UAF, as I recall. And looking on the website here, uh, Tom, at uh, with Dr. Keenum, that's uh, standing uh, just uh, a few feet away from the propeller of a UAF that's all decorated in, in MSU colors and so forth, this is fascinating. It really is, and it's it's really uh, good to hear that Mississippi State is is a leader in this research. And this will, in fact, I believe, change our lives for the good. Tell us about some of the practical applications, if you would, Tom, of UAF. Yeah, and that's and, and you really nailed it with the question. You know, it's if we were out just flying this cool technology for the point of being cool, it would it would have you know very little very little impact. Uh, really the resonant use here is around really, just as you said, how it changes lives every day. Uh, some of the research that we're focused, we're focused on with this most recent platform is, is really around, uh, very largely around the first responder and disaster response and, and pre- preparedness and recovery use cases. Uh, you know, our, our coast, we, we don't, we don't wish for the next event, but we know the next hurricane is going to hit our coast at some point. Uh, you know, a platform uh, like this and the platform we're discussing is, is called the Teros. 
Uh, it's a 44-foot wingspan, carries about 400 pounds, and can fly for nearly 24 hours continuously. That kind of capability allows us to deploy communications networks where the infrastructure has been damaged or completely taken out by a weather event and really help you know the emergency managers, the first responders, understand you know, where the urgency is, uh, you know, where lives are in peril, and, and get, get the help as needed uh, as quickly as possible. And you, it's something that, that certainly manned aviation has contributed to this use case, but UAS, with its rapid deploy, long duration, uh, can do this and save lives much more readily. That's one of many, many, many of these types of use cases uh, that we investigate and research around every day. Yeah, that, that's a great example, too, and appreciate you sharing that. I've, all, I've always felt like that what innovators do is they they leverage tools often to create more tools. And then th- those tools then find their way into some innovation that provides a practical, uh, real, measurable societal value. And, and I say that just to kind of make the point that we really don't know what else may be coming down the pipe, which is great because he, human the human capacity for innovation is unlimited. In, in my view, and, but when we create these tools, uh, other innovators will leverage those to produce even more uh, products, services, items that that provide deliver value to society. We can't even imagine at this point. Uh, that that's absolutely true. Humans are great, you know, great engineers, and you know, you look at uh, kind of the the multispectral, the sensing around. Uh, you know what's done in the in the agricultural fi- agriculture field, and and you know some of the sensing capabilities have just exploded in the last decade, in terms of being able to to do things like determine nitrogen content of the soil or understand fertile you know fertile fertilizer utilization. Uh, those kinds of things happen because UAS technology has been become available and accessible, you know, to agronomists. And uh, you know, they you just give you just give the human, uh, you know, a, a small ability, and it will get get exploited to extent very quickly. Tell us what you got uh, going on with Delta State and the FAA. Yeah, you bet. So you know, Mississippi State is a center of excellence uh, for the FAA's Assure Consortium, which is a long acronym, but in short, it's a uh, it's twenty six core universities that Mississippi State leads uh, that bring the research needed to inform the regulatory process so the FAA can modify the rules to allow uncrewed technology to integrate into the airspace with with conventional aviation. So uh, the FAA is very data-driven. One of the rules currently when you you fly under the FAR Part 91, which is what aircraft fly under every day, is that you must see and avoid. The pilot is responsible for seeing and avoiding um, other other aircraft. And the question becomes, how do you do that if you remove the pilot? So we're, we're establishing sort of the the, uh, the performance baseline for human vision and how well humans can detect other aircraft in flight. Uh, that will be the basis for, for allowing the technology to say, we're not going to degrade safety. We're going to be at, at least as safe. And, in fact, we're going to exceed, well exceed the safety uh, standard that humans uh, have established in, in manned aviation. Got it. And we're probably on the ground floor of some of that technology, would you think, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Every day we see new, you know, commercial inventions that are available for us to go evaluate and research and see how it's going to fit into what we think is going to be the uh, ultimately the technical specifications that define the performance requirements. So yeah, there's there's companies out there every day just just doing great things to bring this technology forward, and we're uh, very coupled with industry. Uh, they are they are some of the. Uh, 
uh, more more progressive uh, in terms of bringing this technology forward and, and commercializing it, which ultimately has got to be the goal. Uh, so, so industry and, and and what they're doing every day is a is a is a crucial element of our strategy. Well, it's fascinating. I think it's uh, essential and going to be an integral part of societal progress. And and really proud that this research and these innovations are, are coming out of the RASPIT flight laboratory at mississippi state tom thanks so much for sharing all that with us and look forward to talking to you more about new stuff coming down the pike it's my pleasure George. thank you so much you bet we're in the element well studios and we're coming right back on midday stay with us middays with gerard what what this is so On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, presently delivering remarks on the House floor discussing her political future. I know one thing that ain't in her future, and that's being the Speaker of the House. That's a done deal. Also over there in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, once again, has been elected as the minority leader. What do you think about that, folks? A lot of people have expressed concern, displeasure with the minority leader. The biggest beef I have with him, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, is he he simply doesn't want any challengers to incumbents. If the incumbent, whoever's seated, if they're loyal to him, no, no, we can't help any challenger. And it's, it's how we perpetuate this endless cycle of career politicians who stay in Congress forever, because he controls the purse strings in Senate elections. A lot of big money is raised in his pack, and it's allocated, and he controls that. And he's made it very clear, we only support incumbents. I'm looking at the screen right now, investigating the Biden family, the FBI, the DOJ, and Russia involvement in elections tops the list of investigative efforts planned by the Republicans in the House. I think certainly the DOJ and Homeland Security. And yesterday, Mayorkas was questioned on the Hill uh, in the House about the situation at the border. And he was defiant. It, it made me mad. I mean, he was just asked very simple, direct questions. Yes or no, is the border secure? And just tiptoed around it. And honestly, I'd have to say it was in contempt. Fact is, a member of the cabinet is accountable 
to the people's representatives. Sometimes they lose sight of that, do they not? They've been empowered, able to act as they see fit, once again with impunity. It's like it's all in the tank. I will say, as we have so many times on the program, that is something that Donald Trump called attention to, shine the light on. The swamp, as he called it, the deep state. And I do have concerns that much of what occurs in this country, from a government perspective, is controlled by these cabinet secretaries and their agencies, not the people we send to Congress that we elect. Look no further than the EPA West Virginia case, where the court, the Supreme Court, ruled in favor of West Virginia, said, no, the EPA exceeded its authority with its regulatory barrage that was not consistent with law passed. It uh, took some liberty, shall we say, in, in kind of extending the law to be what they wanted to do, but not specified in the law, and they are not authorized to do so. So I I think it is good that the Congress, the House, is going to investigate that. Again, Mayorkas was really making me mad. I will also would like to report, folks, that Congressman Michael Guest was one of those posing the questions. He was prepared. He had data. And Secretary... He didn't refute it, but he he just acted like it was no big deal. He was flippant about it, unconcerned about the flow across the border of illegals. Now Chuck Schumer, by the way, you've probably seen this, he's, he's calling for legislation out of the Senate that would make all dreamers, all illegal immigrants in this country, Citizens, immediately. He says 11 million. Most people that are more familiar with the situation predict it's 20 million. But this is his rationale for it now, if you hadn't heard. He says, and he's right about this, we are not propagating our population at a rate necessary to sustain the future of our country in so many ways. There's no doubt there there is a disturbing trend there. So his solution is to offer citizenship to the 20 million in country to essentially offset the low birth rate. Now, keep in mind, this is the same party that wants abortion on demand up until the end of the third trimester and, moreover, want taxpayers to pay for it. What about that there, Chucky? We're, we're literally killing our future. And we're not talking about situations where the life of the mother is endangered or rape or incest, where some people would, would uh, support, up to a certain point at least. No, terminating a pregnancy. No, we're, we're talking about just for convenience. Just, hey... You're eight and a half months into it, and you decided you just don't want to wing it. 
But that this is his solution. Let's go extend citizenship. Now, this doesn't have a chance of passing. Also, this is another guy who's pivoted quite a bit on his position with respect to uh, with respect to amnesty. It wasn't too long ago, I think, as I recall, 2009, where Chuck Schumer himself made a statement about uh, about extending about immigration more than anything else. Let me see if I can find. It. Yeah, here we go. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Until the American people are convinced that we will stop future flows of illegal immigration, we have a serious problem. This was Chuck Schumer in 2009. Here we got 13 years later, he's proposing unconditional citizenship for the 20 million illegals here. What a hypocrite. Would he, is anybody going to ask him? about that statement he made in 2009 and what caused him to flip on that? Probably not, because we have weak media that can't get to him, and he, and he won't talk to any media that would, honestly. He stays clear of them, because he knows they'll call him out, which is really disgusting. So besides these investigations, what can the Republicans do? Well, they can block all this bad Biden agenda because the Green New Deal is still on the table and all sorts of ridiculous higher taxes and more regulations and more redistribution, more big government socialism. What they got was a very scaled-down version of the Green New Deal. The plan is to continue rolling forward with the rest of it, but that voting rights and so forth, none of that's going to happen federalizing that, elections. None of that is possible now. So the best thing the Republicans can do is stop the agenda. No doubt about that. I still say that they should put legislation on the table, pass it in the House, that would reverse many of Biden's bad policies with respect to fossil fuels, 87,000 IRS agents, and, and lots of other uh, bad policies as well. They, they certainly could do something at the federal level that would uh, promote law enforcement and place law enforcement in a different vein than it is now in this country, which I think is contributing to not only the crime outbreak, but it's hurting our economy. <laughs> you heard Target say it. Yeah. Folks just come in and steal whatever the heck they want. We can't stop it. Our laws don't stop it, and they don't deter it. In fact, they encourage it in many cases. These are all problems. I'm watching Pelosi. She's announcing she is leaving leadership. And, of course, she's receiving standing ovation from her conference. I guess there may be some Republicans standing as well. Not sure. But uh, she looks rather jubilant taking a curtain call here yeah they're all looking up at her and watching video and stuff anyhow that's going on in the house of representatives right now wow it's it's a seminal moment honestly we're coming right back with more here on midday stay with us it's gonna be a 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Uh, joining us now, Representative Charles Busby. He represents House District 111, the chair of the Transportation Committee. Thanks for coming on, Mr. Chairman. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Also, uh, appreciate the flexibility. I know we're we're coming on about 30 minutes earlier than we anticipated, and that's going to allow me to go have lunch with the coolest five-year-old in the world at his school, and I appreciate that very much. Thank <laughs> that you. is awesome. Yeah, no problem whatsoever. So an announcement from uh, Tom King uh, came out not so long ago where he said he would not seek re-election for the Southern District Transportation Commissioner's post. And you have announced you will seek election for transportation commissioner in the Southern District. Tell us about your thoughts there. Well, I, I think that the, the skill set that I possess is, is one that's kind of unique. Uh, having been in the legislature and served as chairman of the Transportation Committee in the House for the past seven years, and I assume I will do that again this year for one more year. And... Uh, and being an engineer and a contractor, I think, gives me a unique perspective to help out. I, I look forward to working with great folks at MDOT and, uh, and making our team even stronger if I can. But I will tell you that uh, Mr. King has left some really big shoes to fill, and uh, I, I hope I get the opportunity to try them on. Gotcha. Representative Busby, what would be your priorities should you uh, win the seat as Transportation I Commissioner? Think- I think one of the things that we got to do right now, Gerard, is we've had uh, over the past couple of years, we've had these spikes in spending. We've been able to to do some bonding and send a lot of money over to MDOT for repair of our roads and bridges. What I what I don't think we've done is been able to instill a level of confidence in our contractors from a business perspective that that spending is sustainable. So. I don't believe that they are willing to make the investment in equipment and personnel necessary to perform at, at this higher level as needed. I'd like to figure out how we can, uh, we can kind of level that spending. Go at a higher level, but have, uh, but level out that spending for, uh, a longer period of time to give them sufficient confidence to make those investments that they need to make. Right now, I think we're losing twofold. Uh, I don't think the investments are being made, and I think the bids and the schedules are coming in a bit higher because the contractors are overwhelmed. So I don't think we're getting as much work done for our money as we as we could have, and, uh, and at the same time not getting those investments. So I would like to see how we could work together with the other commissioners to get that done. And that was going to be my next Also, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask you if the other commissioners shared your position on on this as an issue as well. Uh, I have spoken to Commissioner Simmons about it, and he agrees with that position. I have not spoken to Commissioner Caldwell about it. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, I I intend to try to influence policy still as much as as I can. I, I, I feel like I've got some great friends in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, and uh, and I appreciate that friendship and the fact that they get the lashes 
for uh, for the money that is given right. to MDOT to spend. They get the lashes for it, and, and MDOT gets the praise for spending it. And that's not lost on me, and I, I appreciate what they do for us. And uh, I intend to, to continue having a great relationship with my friends in the state legislature. What's the ratio now, if, if you happen to know it offhand, Representative Busby, of federal dollars to state dollars that flows through Department of Transportation? It's about four to one, as I recall. Oh, it's almost 50. It's, well, it's at least 50-50, and I, I don't think it's as high as two to one. But with the recent federal money, it could be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we do receive a, a fair amount of money from the federal government, and then, of course, the, the yes. state uh, appropriates. Well, actually, the state doesn't appropriate money. Most of its money comes from field taxes, right? It's revenues. That's right. Well, we do have an appropriations bill that goes to MDOT every okay. year, but uh, okay. as a special agencies, uh, special fund agency, it's really just permission to spend. Okay. So if the money comes in, you have permission to spend it, but uh, not not a true appropriation bill. Yeah, it. But primarily, it, its source of revenue from the state perspective are the fuel taxes, the excise taxes we it's pay. Fuel for tax. Yeah, uh, that's 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 exactly true. And then you may recall uh, from the 2018 special session, we put a fee on electrics and hybrids, and uh, I'd have to go back and double check, but I believe we index that fee. I think that's and right. As that. As that market grows, uh, then that will begin to bring in a little bit of money as well. And then uh, what we did with the lottery money there and uh, you know, with uh, the the gaming uh, sinking fund, what, we, what we've done with the emergency road and bridge program, those are all been good, good programs. Yeah, $80 million a year from the Mississippi Lottery Corporation. The first $80 million of right. net proceeds produced goes to the state highway fund. And, that, and that's something that we like to make that point on a regular basis, and it being that that money does not flow through the legislature. It, it uh, by in accordance right. with the, the Clark Act, goes straight to the state highway from, fund from the state treasurer, never flowing through the legislature. So it, it uh, Dedicated to paving two-lane highways, and you see those results across the state, too. No doubt. You run into those projects all the time. No doubt. No doubt about that. Uh, do you have concerns? You're just talking about electric vehicles. I read a report uh, this morning. Uh, Representative Busby, that uh, GM says that by 2025, it is going to produce a million le- electric vehicles, and that it's going all electric. I mean, I, I read that report this morning, uh, issued by their CEO and some of the analysts. This possibly could be a problem from a revenue perspective as we transition more to that over a period of time uh, to the Department of Transportation. Well, I'm not as scared of it as I was before 2018 when we put that fee on. And, you know, that fee was $150. And that number came about from, hey, if you've got a car that gets 20 miles to the gallon, you drive 20,000 miles a year, you use 1,000 gallons of fuel. In Mississippi, at 18 cents a gallon, it's 180 bucks. Okay. So that's where the $150 came from. And, uh, and it's indexed. Okay. So, uh, again, I'm not overly scared of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm also not overly scared of it because I don't think electric vehicles are going to totally take over the market. Are they going to have a market share? Certainly they are. Are we going to have to have infrastructure to support them? Certainly we will. Uh, but internal combustion engines are still going to be around, and I suspect hydrogen vehicles as well. Now that we kind of know what the future looks like, it isn't a matter of gauging what does it look like 
the the question is when does it look like that? That's right. I agree with you. It's a ti- it's a timing. It's a function of timing. I was just a little That's stunned right. that that uh, this recent news within the last twenty four hours from uh, from GM that yeah we're going to produce a million in twenty twenty five which is significantly more than they're producing today, uh, just just got my attention. Uh, anything you, you would be looking for uh, from uh, your colleagues uh, at the legislature should you be elected to transportation commissioner? <laughs> you got some ideas on that? Have you, have you set the table the, with them already on that? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 do, I do, but uh, I would really prefer to, to uh, talk with them uh, in private before fair, I do that. Fair I, enough. I, I don't want to get people working against my, my ideas already. <laughs> fair, fair enough. We, we have been fairly blessed. West, uh, with money mainly from the federal government, and of course we've we produced surpluses at the state level as well the last couple of years. So we've we've had a fair amount of money uh, in the Department of Transportation to address our road bridge issue in the last couple of years. We need that to continue. We ha- we have had we've had uh, really good success since since the 2018 special session. You know, and then uh, the money that we that we use out of the use tax to go to roads and bridges for our our our, uh, our, our local system bridge program, our counties, our cities. Uh, great idea that was uh, that was brought to light by uh, Representative Lamar. Uh, I was proud to be able to, to shine a, spot, a spotlight on, on transportation for that special session. And uh, then, then uh, my colleagues just really came forward with some great ideas, and that was one of the best right there uh, that uh, Trey Lamar came up with, and a really, really good idea. I see that. Uh, I see it continuing. I, I've got, I do have a couple of ideas about how we can maybe find a little bit more money, and, uh, and I, I hope to work with my friends in the legislature to get those done. How about the campaign? You got that cranked up. You've been traveling around the district. You got some websites, fundraisers, a campaign apparatus, all that stuff. <laughs> I, I do, I do. I've had a couple of fundraisers already. I do have a website, CharlesBusbyForMS.com. Um, uh, social media presence. Um, trying just to get in touch with as many of my colleagues uh, uh, across the state or across the district as I can. Also, the mayors, the, the mayors of the cities, they have been tremendous, uh, big, very big supporters. I've got uh, been endorsed by a number of mayors across the coast and in the Pine Belt. And even even Dan Gibson over in uh, Natchez Gotcha's. was nice enough to come to a fundraiser over in Ocean Springs for me uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, Representative Hank Zumber put on for me. Uh, I was very, very pleased at the turnout for that, and we had, I don't know, well over 100 people. I wow. don't know. It, it was uh, and some great people, wow. uh, well, state senators and supervisors and everything. We got to go, but we appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck to you. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. I, we'll see you at the Capitol here in a couple of months. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on the show. Representative Charles Busby, House District 111, announcing his candidacy. Uh, as the Transportation Commissioner for the Southern District of Mississippi. We're taking a break. Coming right back. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right. We are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
listen to a lot of Van Halen. I'm not familiar with that one. Ice Cream Man? Is that, is that like an ode to Joe Biden there? <laughs> that was early Van Halen. Okay. From the self-titled album Van Halen. <laughs> Eddie there all over that guitar. Oh, yeah. David Lee Roth there, huh? Right? Would that be David Lee Roth? Should be. Who was the original front vocalist? That's what I'm getting confused about. Maybe there was somebody before David Lee Roth. Not a huge Van Halen fan, but... You looking at it? Yeah, that was he was actually credited as David Roth because ah. it was that early on. He was credited for lead vocals and acoustic guitar on Ice Cream Man. Jeez, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, they were actually formed like in the early 70s or something, as I recall. Uh, Van Halen. Okay, we are back. The So Kevin McCarthy, the news speaker that, well, he's not officially yet, Got to pass the vote once they're seated, but he's been nominated. He says, the one thing I know in I'm quoting, the one thing I know in Washington, they don't hand the gavels out in small, medium, and large. It is one size gavel with the ability to subpoena and hold this government accountable, secure the border, fight to make us energy independent, give the parents a say in their kids' education, and actually look what the DOJ is doing, what the DHS is doing, and others. And that is exactly what we are going to do on day one in this House. We will repeal 87,000 new IRS agents. I applaud his agenda. There's just one big old problem with that. You can't get any of it done without Democrat support and the president signing off on it. So I think the best we can hope for, just being realistic about it, is blocking the Biden agenda and hopefully getting some legislation passed in the House, recording the vote of Democrats, sending it over to the Senate, doing the same, and assembling that as a record on which to run and tout and expose in the next cycle. It's the next cycle, 24. I believe Democrats are defending 20 Senate seats, maybe 23, and Republicans 10. Defending is hard and much more likely to produce a change, a flip. And many may retire is the other thing to keep in mind. With 20, you probably will see some retirements. So two to one, essentially, Democrats to Republicans in terms of defending Senate seats. Much more eventful than this uh, cycle we just had last week in terms of the seats up for election. So the point being... You stay the course and keep the House, control of the House, Republicans. You flip control of the Senate to Republicans. Better chance of doing so 
A, during a presidential election, and B, because it will be one in 24, and, and B, because they're defending so many more seats. And then you capture the White House, you got the trifecta, you got a lot better chance of getting some meaningful legislation done, especially that which can be passed through budget reconciliation, such as defunding the stupid 87,000 new IRS agents. And that would be, I think, critical. Uh, giving the parents a say in their kids' education, honestly, while I totally, fully support the concept of principle, I think that's something that ought to be handled at the state level and not the federal level. The governor yesterday of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, did announce a proposal to do just that. And then I, then I really, you know, thinking about pushing government down to the grassroots level as close as possible to the people, I have to think about whether or not, uh, while I support what the governor wants to do there, uh, totally, is that appropriate at state level for the legislature to handle, or should that be something handled at the school district level? And, of course, you could certainly argue that, well, the state provides a good bit of the funding for the school districts, for the schools, the public schools in Mississippi. Therefore, it should have some say. And just as it does in curricula and so many other things, it pushes down to the, to the individual school district and schools level. I, I get that. It's just something to think about. But I, but I support the idea, and, and absolutely, parents have to be more involved in their uh, the content that is being exposed and thrust on our children in public schools. No, no doubt, that needs to be completely open to the public and transparent. Coming right back after the news here on Midday. Stay with us. And now... The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Hour three of the program on this Friday Eve. So yesterday we we talked quite a bit about former President Trump's announcement that he is running for election in 2024. He made that announcement at the Mar-a-Lago Resort. On Tuesday evening, so we broke that down, analyzed it quite a bit. And, you know, I expressed my concern about his ability to to win in a general election, should he be the Republican nominee. And I will say this, again, trying to be completely objective in analyzing his, his remarks, his speech. Things that I was pleased about, yesterday I I talked quite a bit about some statements he made that needed a little fact-checking, and we did that. But I will say this. I can't remember since he 
was uh, succeeded by President Biden, any speech in which he has not referred to the stolen election. He did not on Tuesday. I think he was coached not to, that it would be in his best interest to let that thing lie. Also, there was no name-calling, no insulting, no mockery, no humiliating commentary. And it was a little shorter, 48 minutes, I think, in length, than some of these long, drawn-out speeches. And it was more a tone of optimism. I absolutely give him credit for all those. Uh, It was a shift, and I think this is why Lindsey Graham honestly remarked after, as did Mike Huckabee. He's another pundit that weighed in and said, you know, if he continues with this tone and tenor, he'll, he'll mop the floor of challengers in a primary and would have a good chance of winning. That's a big if, of course. I'm still not certain that that would do it. Uh, I just think there's a resume there and a, a lot of digital and video evidence, if you will, that would be used against him by his detractors, by his foes. Mike Pence, his statement, this was actually on Tuesday prior to the official announcement, Tuesday evening. This was Tuesday morning. Former Vice President Mike Pence said, and I quote, the president's entitled to announce his intentions whenever he desires, but I honestly believe that we'll have better choices come 2024. That from former Vice President Mike Pence. It's just uh, it's fascinating to watch all of this shape up. And, uh, gosh, it will give us a whole bunch to talk about. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Pivot us just a tad here. Something I wanted to, to share, folks, is an interesting survey done by Ernst & Young, one of the big four accounting firms, found that 40% of companies, you ready for this? 40% of companies in this country have or plan to have a four-day work week. 69% claim to have implemented or be in the process of implementing hybrid work. 70% of employees at the companies that they surveyed now are working from home, not 70% of companies, employees of companies in the nation, all employees, it's a 70% of the companies they surveyed are working from home at least two to three days a week, compared to 42% last year. That came as a bit of a shock as we've moved further away from the pandemic. You've seen lots of companies calling their employees back to the office, requiring them as a condition of employment to return to the office. 
Nearly two-thirds of executives surveyed said they believe that flexible working options motivate employees, and 44% have activated or are beginning to invest in the metaverse for social interaction, training, and recruiting purposes. Wow. That ain't translating into bottom-line dollars over there at Facebook, is it? Not at all. Wow. Despite the shift, only 33% of business leaders said they expect to downsize their investment in commercial real estate, while 58% said they'll increase it. I'm having a hard time with that, connecting those dots. you got more people working at home, more people in a hybrid environment, yet you're taking on more real estate. Interesting. 62% of executives said they have or are beginning to invest in health and safety innovations and monitoring such as indoor air quality and touchless offices. Hmm. I I found that rather fascinating as well. The, um, by the way, speaking of uh, that, the, the Senate, I think the Senate, maybe, and the House, they've both passed this, yeah. Maybe they maybe they have, uh, could be the, the, okay, the Senate, my bad, hasn't passed the House yet. This just occurred yesterday. Here's what it is. The um, Senate voted to end COVID emergency declaration. So we're still been under this emergency situation, which empowers the executive branch considerably. And so now the Senate has voted, which included a number of Democrats, 13 to be exact, voted to end the COVID emergency. Hell, I thought Joe Biden told us it was over, did he not? He he declared it was over, the end. But yet he still wants to hang on to that emergency declaration because he has fairly broad power under the declaration. So 13 voted to end it. Now, one of the things, we've talked about this on the program, Rhino, that this means is that Medicaid now can start at the state level researching who is not eligible but remains on the rolls because under the emergency declaration, Medicaid at the state level, including Mississippi, has not been able to de-enroll anybody because they're not eligible. And that has swollen the rolls considerably in Mississippi from just over 700,000 to 840,000. Now, Medicaid operations in the states are going to have to do so. They're going to have to see who's truly eligible and who's not, and they're going to get noticed that you're off. This is incredible. So this this also affects cost borne by the government for COVID testing and treatment and vaccines, and it would restrict uh, access to Medicaid, as we just pointed out, also telehealth, and, importantly, restart student loan payments, because you've seen folks likely the court's now have pretty much, I think, put the nail in the coffin of Joe Biden's ability with the swipe of a pen to forgive $1.2 trillion of student loans. 
But now he's trying to come up, if you've seen this, with some, he's got a new plan, knowing that this emergency declaration deal is likely to pass the House, right? And that mean, and he doesn't vote on this, I don't believe. And that means he's out, and he loses his authority under the declaration. But he, So he's trying to come up with legislation that he could get through, or perhaps even uh, better for him, an executive order that says, I'm just going to pause student loans. They're determined that nobody's going to pay them damn student loans back. That's just a, that's just a, a top priority, a paramount concern for this administration. They're going to, by hook or crook, figure out a way to do it. I haven't heard much out of Kevin McCarthy on that, by the way. would be curious to know his thoughts on that, because they're not, they're not changing their pursuit. I don't see it. Interesting, though. We are, uh... <laughs> wow, I can't believe you aren't beating up on Trump so far, says Leslie and Grenada. I haven't beat up on him at all. What did I say that was beating up on him? Serious. What did I say yesterday, Rhino, that was beating up? I just shared facts. If you call that beating up, so be it. Coming right back. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dino Mike! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And don't forget, tomorrow, middays, good things in the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be in Columbia for the annual Columbia Christmas Festival. Preparations are underway to kick off the spectacular festival, and Super Top Mississippi will be in downtown Columbia with all the details, and we will be inside, which was the good news we learned a couple of days ago. Love being outside last year. It was fantastic. Beautiful 70-ish weather. Uh, no wind up on the scaffolding. I will say it was a little treacherous negotiating the steps and whatever else we had to do to get up on that scaffolding. I don't know how the heck they got all that gear up there. Scary Gary in Houston. And Very company. carefully. <laughs> I guarantee you. But we'll be down there tomorrow watching the Zambonis on the skating rink. They do. They have two Zambonis in a really cool skating rink right downtown there between uh, the building's on one side of the street. It's pretty cool. Who wouldn't love to drive a Zamboni just once? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on the ceasefire text line, you're so right. Um, they do not. This is David and Jackson, by the way. They do, they do not have our voice. They move according to the money they can get. We need men and women elected that will keep their word to protect us. Thanks, men, for what y'all do. Appreciate you, David, from Brandon. And I think what David was talking about is my my commentary about. Mitch McConnell, who only supports incumbents. It doesn't matter who may challenge whether or not that would be 
a step up, an improvement, a, a, a better senator. Incumbents get all the support, all the money. It's just how he rolls. And, and it just feels like it's for fear that they may not be loyal to him. And that's not how it should work in the Senate. Or the House, for that matter. Also on the ceasefire tax line, a new Republican POTUS, if we ever get another, doubtful, needs to gut every department except maybe defense by 35% one whack. Okay, so that's an interesting analysis. So, okay, let's, let's review it again. How about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, interest, all the other welfare programs, those aren't not saying they're that Medicare and Social Security or welfare. They're not. They're enti- what are called entitlement programs, meaning you're entitled to benefits if you participate. But the mandatory spending includes Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, a variety of welfare programs, redistribution programs, and then debt interest. It's 70% of our spending. So we could cut all the others, let's say we take that out of the equation, and then you're suggesting on the tax line here not to touch defense. Okay, so now we're at about 90% of spending. Now we got the other 10%. Let's say we reduce it by 35%. As suggesting, suggested here. That actually means that we would cut about $150 billion in a $5 trillion budget with a trillion point two deficit, meaning it amounts to petty cash. Maybe. It's a rounding error. Maybe. That's just the truth. And I think that comes as a shock to a lot of people that this entire gargantuan, complex apparatus of government that we typically see and are exposed to on a, on a more regular basis, all those agencies that the cabinet secretaries run, those only account for about 10% of total spending, about 30% or so of discretionary spending. And it's why Rick Scott and Ron Johnson have come forward to the chagrin of Democrats, and, and honestly, they used very effectively against them with the uh, just the proposal that we got to start talking about this mandatory spending in the form of Medicare and Social Security. They're going to crash under their own weight. Then nobody's going to have anything. That's where we're headed. So even, even bringing it up drew the ire and strong criticism and condemnation and false hyperbole from Biden. They want to end your Social Security and Medicare. No, they want to preserve it. It is you who refuses to accept that they are insolvent and need reform to preserve them. It is you who, by inaction, would end it. I don't know why the Republicans can't just make those statements and explain that, but it's the truth. I wish it were that easy, though, to the to the texter, just cut everything by 35%. It's not, because that means you got to touch, and you would have to cut Social Security Medicare. In fact, Social Security, as you know, is going up next year. It's going to, the spending's going to increase. 
by 8.3%. That in accordance with law. Jerry in Caledonia is not happy because I don't know Van Halen's ice cream man. Sorry about that. He says, come on, man. Well, in fairness, on the self-titled album Van Halen, it was not released as a single. Okay. And it was on the B-side towards the end of the record. Gotcha. Well, I, I think it was after heard of it. Little Dreamer in the lineup. Uh, okay, yeah. I do remember that. But that was an album that a lot of people, looking back on it, praise as being a, a no, maybe not top ten album from that era, but a lot of hits, off, especially off that A-side. Gotcha. Well, sorry. Don't know that one. No, some other ones, though. Dreams, that's my favorite, I think. You like that? The video's great. That's the one with the Blue Angels. Really cool. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, GM will go broke. I, I shared earlier that I heard them announce that they were going to produce a million electric vehicles by 2025. A million is a lot. That's far greater than previously expected. GM will go broke, once again, delivering what government wants instead of what consumers want. Well, I wouldn't take that bet. GM's the folks that run that place. They're pretty smart. Been making money a long time. I'm looking at, on the official GM website here, The there's an entire section devoted to their electric vehicle plans. Very first thing you see, quote, we're putting everyone in an EV, moving us closer to a world with zero tailpipe emissions. And they're also... Strip mines for lithium. Yeah, so they, they talk about that. Uh, there's something, uh, they're changing their battery technology to Altium? Hmm. Not familiar with that, but it's something new that they're coming out with. And there's uh, photos and of the entire EV lineup, I had no idea they were making that many. Uh, it's kind of interesting as well. but So I don't know. The uh, Let's see. The Denali Celestica Celestiq? I don't know how to say it. C-E-L-E-S-T-I-Q. Celestique? That would be my guess. Yeah. Equinox, Blazer, Hummer, Cadillac Lyric, Silverado, cruise origin that's just what they have today so i think the concern and i think it's just way i've said this before is way too premature to jump on that bandwagon i in my view it's not not practical for certainly for my personal use but we will get to a point based on what all these car manufacturers are saying is that the only way you can have a internal combustion powered vehicle is if you already own it because you're not going to be able to buy any new ones and it's it's california massachusetts i think one other state maybe it's colorado's moving towards none in their states by 2030 can't sell new ones but it, so it's moving very fast i think too fast and it's it's a problem i don't think they'll go broke i think they'll figure something out Oh, one more note about Van Halen. They were discovered by Gene Simmons of KISS. Ken and West Point shared that. How about that? Yeah, I remember seeing an interview with Gene Simmons where he was asked about that. And according to him, he discovered them in a bar or a club, signed them to a contract. And then before 
he could get them recorded. I think they recorded a demo or something, but before yeah. they could get an actual deal in place, he had to go on the road with Kiss. And he didn't feel it would be ethical to hang on to them while he went out on the road because it was going to be an international tour. So he tore up the contract and let them go about their merry way. And he said as as repayment for that, they came back and recorded with him after he got back from Japan, I want to say, in like 78 or 79. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, Gene Simmons, he is a capitalist, an opportunist, a, a profit-making entrepreneur first. He's a musician second. Right? I mean, he's been very successful. He knows how to commercialize music, for sure. We're in the Element Well Studios half an hour back. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios. Let's see. Welfare and Medicare and Medicaid accountability could be a decent percentage of cuts on the ceasefire tax line. I wish that were the case. It's uh, it'd be a fraction. I'm not saying that there aren't uh, evidence. There's not evidence of waste, fraud, and abuse. There always are in gigantic government programs. But when you called all that out, it still wouldn't be enough to offset a $1.2 trillion deficit. There have been lots of studies done to estimate that, Mainly Medicare and Medicaid at about eighty billion. It pegs it at about eighty billion a year. That's that's not nothing. It's it's a material figure, but it's not so material when the total spending on those two programs is one point seven trillion. It's just not. And then you look at Social Security. That's not a program that is as rife with fraud and abuse. As the other, it's because of the nature of health insurance and health care service reimbursement and all the parties involved. Just a, It's just more opportunity for lots of waste, fraud, and abuse, not so much at Social Security. Uh, the budget of Social Security last year, $1.2 trillion. That was benefits of $1.5 trillion to um, excuse me benefits averaging one thousand five hundred thirty eight dollars to forty nine million retirees and then there's also the benefits to spouses and children of retired workers surviving children and spouses of deceased workers and disabled workers and eligible dependents those are the, the benefit categories of social security so I wish it were that simple but it's not. Now, that's not to say that we absolutely 
should commission an effort to really dig under the covers of all these programs and root out all the waste, fraud, and abuse. There's no doubt about that. I think the taxpayers would be well served for that. But but it shouldn't also it should also be said that it's unrealistic to expect that in doing so that would cure our our deficit problem and the lapping on of our annual deficits to our thirty one trillion dollars of debt. Don't expect that either. Uh, something else that I saw, and I'm looking for it here, uh, Rhino. Someone said that instead of sending money to Ukraine, we should use the money we're sending to Ukraine to cure the issues in Social Security and Medicare. Do you see that? I can't find it now. It scrolled away. But, uh, again, that's another situation that I, I yeah, wish... It was that, rusty on the ceasefire. Okay, yeah. Line. Instead of sending money to countries that hate us, why not use that money to fix Social Security and Medicare, and it's the same same deal there, Rusty. It's just a it's a math issue. It is true we spend a lot of money. It, it, actually, it's about forty billion dollars a year before Ukraine. We've sent ninety one billion, but that's come in the form of cash and in kind assets as well. Lots of old military assets that we don't have a use for. Don't use. We have sent, and that's. Part of that ninety-one billion. It is true also today that Joe Biden is asking for more. By the way, to go to Ukraine, I think in another eleven billion. So on average, though, you remember, Rhino, you and I researched this. About forty billion a year, I think, is part of the discretionary budget authorized by the Congress, sent to the president to enact as a spending bill. To foreign countries, forty billion. Once again, keep in mind that is uh, about 06 percent of total spending. Point six percent. It ain't squat. In other words, I'm not saying I support it. I'm just saying that from a math perspective, that's not going to cure Social Security, Medicare which combined for about $3 trillion a year. And the unfunded liabilities are multi-trillions. So what you need to fix Social Security and Medicare are multi-trillions, not $40 billion a year. That's just mathematical fact. And I think it's necessary to have this conversation because I think it's widely believed. It sure feels like it when you look at comments we get on the text line and social media, et cetera, it feels like that a lot of people do hold this view that, yeah, if we just quit sending money abroad, we wouldn't have a deficit. The deficit was $1.2 trillion this year. The amount we sent abroad, not counting Ukraine, was $40 billion. So if you counted Ukraine, it's a little over 100 So you only need another $1.3 trillion of spending cuts somewhere to eliminate the deficit. Now, you say, okay, well, let's don't touch Social Security and Medicare. Okay. Well, you can eliminate the entire Department of Defense and all the government apparatus, all the agency complex. You can eliminate every bit of that and break even. But you wouldn't have a, 
a military. You'd have Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid, but you wouldn't have a military. You'd be able to pay your debt interest, but you wouldn't have a military. And you wouldn't have a, any government, zero, none. You'd have Social Security and Medicare, but you wouldn't have a, an administrative apparatus to oversee it, to run it, to operate it. It's, it's tough issues that whenever I see these, I saw this morning a Republican, Tom Will, Roger Williams, pardon me, congressman from Texas, and he was talking about, okay, what are we going to do when we take the House? We've got to rein in this, this, uh, this spending, this excess spending. I'm all for it. But you'll never hear him give details. Where? What? How much? When are we going to get that? I mean, you could talk at a high level. We spend too much. We've got to rein it in. I, I'm with you. I agree. Give me some details. Send me a pro forma. Not just me, I'm talking about, I'm speaking on behalf of the American people. Send us a budget that shows how to get that done. I'm looking at, by the way, the fiscal year 2023 budget. It's 158 pages for your light reading, and it's printed in newspaper double-column format in like eight pica font. It's It's 158 pages. Dig in. Tell us where you're going to cut. It's just crazy how big and expansive it has gotten. It's unbelievable. And the title of the, of the fiscal year, you know they title them. Why do they do that? It's, it's just a budget. Just call it the budget. Building a better America. Got to have the wordsmithing. I got you. And building a better America means producing a sizable deficit, as the budget calls for here. About $1.1 trillion next year. And Joe Biden will brag because it's not $1.2. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm still overdrawn. It's not $20. It's $18. <laughs> Woo-hoo! <laughs> That's how we think now. Ben from Madison says, Sounding more like Pence is going to throw his hat in the ring. I wonder if having a big pool of candidates will help Trump peel off support from DeSantis and others. I will say this, Ben, it's an interesting observation. I think having a big pool of candidates is good for all of us. And the reason I believe that is because it it sharpens everybody. It makes everybody better. It's no different than competition in the in the consumer or the business marketplace. Competition produces excellence. You either become excellent or you die. You go bankrupt. The market will weed you out. And the same here is with voters. I think it will make them better. But I don't think they'll back off candidates that would be in the field along with former President Trump. I don't think they will just wilt to his insults in his name-calling, in his labeling, as last time. Uh, I just don't. I don't think DeSantis will, if in fact he runs. And and he made an interesting statement uh, just yesterday where he said, hey, just chill about all this possibility of me running. Let's, Let's focus on getting Herschel Walker elected and getting the Congress seated to go to work for the people 
And he basically said, let's chill. I mean, that was his, his exact words. I'll see if I can find the quote that he made. When we return here in the Element Well Studios, we're coming right back for the final segment. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Bottom boys. Okay, so the $91 million figure I shared, that would include it's $37 billion that Biden just asked for. So I was wrong. It wasn't 11 it was $37 billion. So one of the things that I've learned in trying to analyze this issue, it's pretty hard to find exactly how much it is. I'm talking about the money to Ukraine. It's not like you just go to this one place and it says, yeah, this is how much money. There's lots of debate and discussion and conflict. But the source that, to me, looked the most credible says $54 billion thus far and a $37 billion request that's on the table would bring it to... 91 billion and this is as of yesterday but there are republican members of congress that are calling for a forensic audit of all this which i think is prudent military and non-military aid to ukraine since the russian invasion in february i think that totally makes sense because biden just came out yesterday yeah we need another 37 billion which includes as you guys know, lots of military equipment. Now, interestingly enough, Rhino, the uh, Department of Defense did publish essentially a manifest, an inventory of all of the military assets sent to Ukraine from the U.S. And I won't go through all of them, but 20,000 anti-armor systems, 700 switchblade tactical unmanned aerial systems, and howitzers, artillery rockets, helicopters, etc. It's a bunch. But there's a cash component, too, and that's what I can't figure out. And I do know lots of these military assets was reported that um, are old and, and they're no longer use, they're no longer active in our military. So it essentially put them to use. They were going to be, I think, just dumped. I don't know what they do with them exactly, these old hard assets that are no longer used, that get replaced, get forklifted. I don't know how they dispose of them, but... It depends on what it is, but a chunk of them get auctioned off or given away for free to uh, law enforcement agencies across the country. that makes sense. I'm not sure if you can go down to the local surplus store and and buy you 
one of these mobility artillery rocket systems. <laughs> yeah, those don't usually wind up in the hands of law enforcement, but armored up vehicles and every once in a while, like bomb disposal robots and stuff like that. Yep. Kevin in Monticello, I honestly think that Trump ran for the country the first time, but for his ego this time, I doubt I'm the only one that thinks that. Between this and his mouth, he's unelectable. Somebody else said, uh, you were right, there is a resume out there of Donald Trump put America back on top and going in the right direction. He's the only one that can say, and therefore the only one that can beat the Democrats, Trump 24. Interesting. That's not the resume that they'll be touting, though. You know that. In the opposition research world, there is uh, so much that they will be using, uh, I think, effectively. And we will see. Somebody did send a, uh, a, a note that I'm trying to find, and I can't find it, Rhino, but said they supported Trump, they liked him, but they're not going to support him this time. The, this is Rusty. He says the best thing Trump can do for the Republicans is to become a Democrat or just fade away to the sunset. Interesting. Keith and Baden, Gerard, at least you didn't call Trump orange man yesterday. Yeah. I don't do that. I, I just don't. I, I don't do that. I've been given credit for that, and I use it sarcastically to yeah. talk about the Democrats and the liberals with Trump derangement syndrome when they keep talking about orange man bad. Making fun of them, yeah. What about cutting four and eight and a half? Sure, Kyle. So just for comparative purposes, folks, if we cut foreign aid in half, that would equal the amount going to the city of Jackson. (laughs) Not quite. It's 10x that. Um, Yeah, that would be $20 billion. I was trying to get your attention. There would be $20 billion, uh, Kyle. So... Again, in a, in a $6 trillion budget, that's 0.3%. It, it's nothing. It's a rounding error. It's petty cash. I'm all for it, but I'm going to say it again. You want to get down to balancing the budget, you got to talk about what to do about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, debt interest, and the variety of welfare programs that are in the mandatory spending bucket in this country. Until we start having a serious discussion about that, we are never going to cure the deficit and keep running up the debt. That's just fact. We're out of time here today, though, folks. We're going to be down in Columbia tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.